Good evening, everyone. As most of you know, we have a Bible discussion group at Seven Lakes where we live, and we have three of our distinguished guests here from Seven Lakes with us tonight once again. Um, We have many or several of uh, our members here who come and join us um, for these twice-week classes. And it has been quite a a good study, uh, opening our eyes to many things that we hadn't noticed in the past. Um, The Alcots came this week, and uh, Daylene was was quite an addition to our group. We were talking about Noah and the generations um, before Noah. She even made sure Albert gave me a handout this morning with some more information on it. So um, we appreciate everybody's support for the, for the work that we're doing over there. David usually comes over too. Um, so we've had a lot of Genesis this morning, but we're going to stay right there. You know, we had, we had a lot of Genesis from Joe on Wednesday night, Henley in class this morning, and then our lesson on believing this morning. We spent a fair amount of time there. So we're going to go back there to Genesis. We're actually going to go back to the account of creation and talk about that just a little bit. But we are going to be talking about Noah and lessons that we can get from the life of Noah. We know that, or we talked this morning about Adam and Eve being uh, put in the garden to tend it with instructions from God not to eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree. And they disobeyed God, or we could say they didn't believe God, but instead they believed the lie that Satan had told them. And they were punished. And part of their punishment, they they were taken out of the garden, separated from God. Their sin separated them from God, which is what our sins do to us. They separate us from God. Um, what I'd like to read is uh, Genesis four, uh, 3, verses 14 through 19, which is the punishment that God gave them. And he starts with the serpent, and then the woman, and then the man. So again, Genesis 3, starting in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of, the, of your face you will eat bread till you, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
you'll see in a little bit why I wanted to read that that part because I mean it really is a foundation from for, for the rest of the the known world from that time on those curses <clears throat> were in place until Jesus came and fulfilled or took care of them next we will move on and talk a little bit about Cain and Abel they're the next characters that we see um, we read of uh, acceptable offerings is the way it's worded in my Bible Cain and Abel Cain's was not acceptable to God not pleasing to God and Cain was disappointed um, if we look a little bit forward into Hebrews they're actually called sacrifices um, so we have to wonder how did Cain and Abel learn about these sacrifices and what they were supposed to do we want to carry this theme about uh, God and God's plan and the history that are passed on from generation to generation to generation because we're going to watch how this gets passed on up through to Noah and then onward from there to Abraham Cain is obviously mad and God directly tells him to do better and he'll be happier in my words Cain doesn't take that very well his countenance is pretty fallen so he gets Abel out into a field and kills him we all know the story Cain's punishment is banishment you know from the people that he's been around and I brought up the point or the point was brought up in our study at Seven Lakes that God actually showed some mercy to Cain in that he didn't kill him a life for a life. Not that he got uh, he got off scot-free, but he was he was put out of the people that he knew. And he was afraid. He was afraid people were going to kill him. So he, he had a he had a tough time getting out there. Then we come on to the birth of Seth, where Eve has a replacement for her son who died, Abel. We have to wonder. Maybe she thought that Abel would be the one. I mean, that uh, Seth would be the one to crush the head of Satan. As God had told her you know, when He was giving that punishment out. And then we read of his son Enosh. And it says that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? We see that several times throughout the Old Testament. Worshiping God. So we have to wonder, who did he learn this from? Where did he get his information? Again, this is passed on directly from through the line from Adam down these people when we read it it looks like they talk directly to God in some situations other times I'm sure that it was passed down face to face word to word in Genesis chapter 5 we read of the generations from Adam to Noah 
There's almost 11 centuries covered here. We look at the timeline. Lamech was 182 years old when Noah was born. We were talking about those long lives of people this morning. Well, here we go. There's a lot of math to do. If you want to see who was on the earth, when and where. Because Daylene made it pretty easy for me when she gave me a nice chart with lines on it. So Lamech was 182 years old when Noah was born. Methuselah was Noah's grandfather and was a contemporary with Adam for 243 years. Methuselah knew firsthand the events of the Garden of Eden, creation and provisions and the fall. Lamech, again, the father of Noah, was 56 when Adam died and clearly understood the fall of man and the curse of God. I know some of that is speculation, but when we look at the results of the knowledge of God being passed down, we have to assume this understanding. Methuselah and Lamech were on the earth and could have heard Enoch preach and they could have seen the example of his noble life. And his was a life that was, it was said and written in God's word that he walked with God. A great example for those who were on the earth at that time. Now in chapter 5, a little bit further down in verse 29, it says, Now he called his name Noah. This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has, has cursed. One of the reasons why I wanted to read the curse was the part about the ground and, and the thorns and the thistles. Because Noah's name means rest, we hear a couple of different ideas about the meaning of this of his father's statement here about his name we look at it spiritually we can look at it phys- physically spiritually with the knowledge passed down from his father Methuselah he may have been thinking about the curse in Genesis 3.15 which may be fulfilled in his son physically he may be thinking only of the curse on the ground which made growing anything but thorns and thistles very difficult. His name means rest, which would fit either rest for the world or Jesus' rest that we look forward to or are in at this time. Some will consider Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest and my burden is light the life of Christ comes through Noah and Jesus is our final rest as Christians terrible things happen during these generations People became wicked. People became immoral. 
Genesis 6 and 5 says, Then the the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We should talk about those who influenced Noah in his early years, teaching him the ways of God. Those people that were before him, there are a couple of people that I've read that say that his father and his grandfather turned bad just like the rest of the world. And that it was hard for Noah even uh, because of that, because they were a drag on him. We discussed that in our Seven Lakes class a little bit. And it was brought up that they were on the, same, on the earth the same time as these good men that we've talked about. And that they probably died off before the flood. And if you do the math, Noah's father died five years before the flood. And I think Methuselah died the same year as the flood, or or close to it. The photocopy wasn't good enough. I couldn't read the date. (laughs) Um, So we want to consider those things when we we talk about the influence of Noah's um, early years on the earth. Today we can talk about uh, the wicked good. People that are around us today. I know Henley in class this morning talked about people who do good things. Naturally want to do good things. Wicked good is a a funny saying. It's an oxymoron. You get opposite things, wicked and good, put together. I know years ago I did a lesson about wicked good people and I used a lot of different oxymorons in the, in the sermon. It was, it was interesting, but it stuck with me for a lot of years. Wicked good people. I told the story of an aunt of mine who every year, all year long, would knit mittens and hats for people. Wonderful woman, good to other people. Yet she didn't know Jesus. She didn't believe God. I spoke at her funeral, which she didn't even want anybody to speak at. It was a sad thing. The wicked good. There are many people like that around us. That on the day of judgment, God will say, I never knew you. So we compare our time with people around us with the time with people in the time of the day day of Noah. No comparison. The Bible says their hearts were, the thoughts of their hearts were evil continually. There weren't even any wicked good people around at that time. The Bible tells us that God loves us all. He loves us all. Died for us all. I have to tell you real quickly about a movie I watched the other night. It was a, a church-type movie about a preacher, or, and so I, I thought I'd watch it. It was about a black Pentecostal preacher from Tulsa, and it was based on a true story. He was uh, a graduate of Oral Roberts University. He had built a big charismatic church, and things were on fire for them. 
One day he was watching a television show of some starving children in some faraway place. And he, he decided that God had talked to him when he saw this. And that those children or those people just couldn't be lost. God just wouldn't do that. Because he said, God, that Jesus died for us all. Well, the next week, during his sermon on Sunday, he actually said this on stage. Well, he was obviously chastised by many of the members. They lost most of their congregation within a couple of weeks were gone because they didn't, didn't agree with what he said. Oral Roberts turned his back on him. And this guy managed to save this little bunch of people that believed him instead of what the Bible says. And I'm watching this and I'm waiting for this guy to, to repent, to decide what, you know, what he said was wrong and to make it right. It never happened. The end of it was he was still in his little church with his little following and he's still preaching that same message today. What a letdown. What a letdown. The Bible tells us that God loves us all. But he wants us all to obey him. He wants us all to believe him. Jesus died for all of us, yes. All of us have, in the future, we all have or we have had the opportunity to believe God. The people of Noah's time had people with direct knowledge. Maybe one or two generations past, past seeing the power of God possibly speaking to him face to face they didn't take the opportunity to believe the people of those days they didn't believe the men that we read about Abel was called righteous for believing what God wanted for an offering Enosh began calling on the name of the Lord Enoch walked with God Plenty of opportunity for the people of these times to have faith in their Creator. They had these men among them. But they chose not to believe God. They chose to worship themselves and do what pleased them. The courage that Noah possessed for all those years must have equaled his faith in God. To obey God in the midst of all that evil As we spoke, you can do the math, and his dad died shortly before the flood. But I tell you, he wasn't alone. He had God. And we take strength and courage in Romans 8, which says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Noah sure lived this verse out. He among his own family is the one who, the scripture says, walked with God and was a preacher of righteousness. As head of his family, he must have done well in God's sight. 
He must have done well because God included his family as well on the ark. The reward to family remembers for faith we've seen we can see several times in scripture and a couple that come to mind were Rahab's family and the family of righteous Lot. Not all of their families believed and they were lost. Some of their family members were burnt up at Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'll say, without, without godly leadership in this family, they could have easily joined the evil that's around them. And this is a great example for family leaders today. A great example for family leaders because at times we're not very long-suffering. We're not as long-suffering as we should be. We need the courage of Noah through our faith in God to press on, even if it takes 120 years. Speaking on long-suffering, how many converts do you suppose Noah had during those years as a preacher? We could say maybe his family. We could say maybe somebody who had died earlier before the flood. We just don't know. But that's long-suffering. We don't read of any time Noah was discouraged in his work for God. He showed full faith and obedience to God in his words. Thus the saying, he walked with God. Was he a perfect man? No. Because we know the Bible says all sin and falls short of God's glory. But Hebrews 11 says he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah believed God when he told him about the flood, about things not yet seen, Hebrews 11. In that verse I used this morning, he believed the one who can't, <clears throat> the one who calls into being that which does not exist. Did the flood exist yet? Did the ark exist? He believed God. He believed God's instructions on building the ark. The dimensions, the species of wood, the pitch, the door, the window. 120 years of labor building this ark. So we asked the question during our class, what would happen if he hadn't followed God's instructions? There are many things we could say. The animals wouldn't fit. We could say the ark would leak. We could say the door would not close properly. We could say the wood would crack before it was all completed. We could say all kinds of things. But the bottom line, the bottom line is the same from the garden until now. Follow God's instructions or it doesn't work. So what are some other lessons or applications today from Noah? It doesn't matter if you come from a godly line of men, whether surrounded by good or evil, 
We choose what to believe. We have free will that God gave us. Noah could have followed the world around him, but instead he chose to put his trust in God. We have that same choice today. God could have made us robots, but he wants to surround himself in eternity forever and ever with those who choose to love him. The choice is to believe Jesus. Believe him when he said, I'll give you rest. It doesn't matter your bloodline. It doesn't matter what your name means. What matters is that you are righteous in God's sight. You know the rest of the story of Noah. He and his family and all the animals finally were on dry ground. Noah opened the ark and the world was new. Evil was gone. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You believe and obey God. You repent of your sins. You confess Him as the Son of God. You submit to baptism in water for the remission of sins. Buried with Christ. Raised a new man. A new beginning. Just like coming off the ark. A new beginning. For us Christians today, I want to read you something. A little article. It's called, Lord, Prop Us Up on Our Leaning Side. I should probably have Joe read this, because I think he could articulate the language better than I can. It says, Every time I am asked to pray... I think of the old deacon who always prayed, Lord, prop us up on our leaning side. After hearing him, after hearing him pray that prayer many times, someone asked him why he prayed that prayer so fervently. He answered, Well, sir, you see, it's like this. I got an old barn out back. It's been there a long time. It's withstood a lot of weather. It's gone through a lot of storms. And it's stood for many years. It's still standing. But one day I noticed it was leaning one to one side a bit. So I went and got some pine poles and propped it up. Propped up on its leaning side so it wouldn't fall. Then I got to thinking about that and how much I was like that old barn. I've been around a long time, he said. I've withstood a lot of life storms. I've withstood a lot of bad weather in life. I've withstood a lot of hard times. And I'm still standing too. But I find myself leaning to one side from time to time. So I like to ask the Lord to prop us up on our leaning side. Because I figure a lot of us get to leaning at times. Sometimes we get to leaning toward anger. Leaning toward bitterness. Leaning toward hatred. Leaning toward cussing. Leaning toward a lot of things that we shouldn't. So we need to pray. Lord, prop us up on our leaning side so we'll stand straight and tall again.
to glorify you, Jesus. So that's a note to us as Christians. That we need to live a godly life. We need to obey and believe the things in God's word so that we don't fall away as many after the flood did. God will surely help you if you're leaning. He'll help you when your faith and trust and belief is in Him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you would like to experience a new beginning in Christ, we have to believe in God, have faith in Him. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, Peter preaching to the Jews, and they were, it says they were pierced to the heart, realizing who Jesus actually was. They believed. We must repent. In Acts 16, we read of a Philippian jailer. When he learned the truth, he washed their stripes. You must confess Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. He said it, I believe he said it enthusiastically, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we need to submit to the waters of baptism. We need to submit to God's command to be buried in water for the remission of our sins. We have water prepared right here. If you look at all three of these examples, over 3,000 people were baptized and joined to the church. God's church. Jesus' church. We can add to that number tonight if you're here. Don't wait. Don't wait before it's too late. Believe what God says. Believe what the Bible says. Just come forward as we stand and as we sing.